for the ones who will not live into this covenant, for those who will go their own way and break it, you already know it's the reverse. The goodness and blessing that they have in their lives will always seem more and more fleeting, somehow always diminishing, slipping through their fingers. And the pain and the burden of sin in their lives and in the world will continue to weigh heavier and heavier and heavier on them. Their lives feeling empty and cursed, even when by all standards they have an abundance, as they frustrate and fight the goodness of God working in them. Deuteronomy 28, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your room, and the fruit of the ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of the herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of the ground. Within the land that the Lord your God swore to your fathers. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, and give rain to your land in its season, and bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And God will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall go up and not down, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from the right hand or from the left to go after other gods, to serve them. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. And cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. And cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and the increase of the herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration, and all that you undertake to do, until you are destroyed and perish quickly, on the account of the evil of your deeds, because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land you are entering to take possession of. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, 
and fever, inflammation and fiery heat, and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rains of your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee before them seven ways. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. And the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with the tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually. And there shall be no one to help you. You shall betroth the wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you won't dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you won't enjoy its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat any of it. Your donkey shall be seized before your face, but it shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, but there shall be no one to help you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall only be oppressed and crushed continually. The word of the Lord. You know, um, over the last couple months, let's see if I can get this going here. Over the last couple months, Pastor Jeff has taken us through this one moment in the salvation of creation, the calling of an entire people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel. And God is saving them here to bring them into this life of joy, of peace, of thanksgiving and love that God is, is the first fruits. And at this moment in time, they're standing right on the threshold on entry into the place that has been set apart for this kind of life, the promised land. And as Pastor Jeff has kind of unfolded Deuteronomy before us, we've gotten a chance to see more clearly what salvation means. That salvation here is indeed true freedom. It's a life fully lived. It's life as it was intended to be and will be finally in God. For God to work this salvation in a fallen creation, we see that salvation kind of happens in two parts. In the first part, God takes us out of Egypt, as we've already seen with Israel, out of the house of slavery and captivity to sin. God rescues us, God frees us from those situations and circumstances that would separate us from God. But there is this second and deeper part of salvation. Because sin is not just in the world, it's also in each and every one of us. And God's grace does this yet more extraordinary thing. Setting us free from ourselves, from jealousy, from envy, from anger, from revenge, from frustration, from lust, from ego. God not only gets us out of Egypt, God gets the Egypt out of us. And while present-day pharaohs may still lay claim over our lives, through this interior work of grace that God does in us, 
we have a freedom in God that means that we're no longer subject to the rulers and to the authorities of this world. In the passage for this morning, Moses has set before God's people, Israel, this second interior work of salvation if they will receive it. The law or the teaching or the wisdom, the instruction, the knowledge of God is the invitation to have God's rescue and God's redemption work all the way through them as much as God has already worked around them, getting them to, from Egypt to the promised land. And if Israel will live out the law, then every part of their daily life, all their speech and all of their actions will tell and retell, will know and make known the greatness and the goodness of God, what God has done for them and for the world, and the life for which they're called. If Israel will follow the law with all of their hearts, Israel would become so practiced in reflecting the steadfast love and faithfulness of God, it would become second nature to them, almost instinctual. Much the way that you and I, as we're here in this room right now, without having to think about it, can breathe automatically. So now this morning, in this passage, having listened to all the law taken place, we get to hear what difference it makes if the law is followed or not. But to understand, I think, what Deuteronomy 28 is doing, what all of Deuteronomy is doing, what shoot the whole law and the scriptures are doing, I think that you have to, or I want to point out this one thing that they all take for granted. There is an order to our world. Genesis 1 lays it out at the very beginning that it's the basis of our existence, but you don't even need the revelation of scripture here necessarily. Oh, shoot, my, oh, where's my picture? No? Okay. You can see it, everybody. It was, a picture of a, it was a nice picture of a sunset. Nice picture of a, or a sunrise. I don't know. It was one of the two. Now it's blacked out. But you can see it every morning, that natural order, as you look out your window and you see the sun rising, right? You can see it every fall as the leaves change color. You can see it as everything produces after its own kind, right? Oak trees produce oak saplings. Humans produce babies. Cats produce kittens. I jumped on the uh, cat picture bandwagon. This one's for Katie, I think, this morning. Could have gone a lot of ways there. But there is an order to all things, right? There is an order in our world, and this is something that the scriptures take for granted. I can't necessarily change that order to suit my whim or my will. I could command the sun right here before all of you, don't rise tomorrow. But all of us would be insane to think that my command would have any effect whatsoever. I could try to command myself to photosynthesize and no longer have to eat, right? But that's just not the way that my body is designed or made to work. I can refuse to eat, but I can't refuse the consequences of not eating. If I eat, I live. If I don't, I won't. And scripture tells us that this fixed order is a sign of God's love and God's mercy to us. God makes the sun to shine and the skies to rain on both the just and the unjust, on both the righteous and the not so much. Because God's love is more constant than the sun and the moon and the stars. And just as we see in this physical realm of all living things, them abiding by this fixed order, so also it is 
and a spiritual one. There is simply a way that we were made to live and to love and to worship. It's just the order of things. There are some ways that help our souls to flourish and other ways that make them wither and die. So if the law spells out this way to allow Israel's souls to flourish and to live, even in a fallen creation, what then is the difference if it's followed or not? What's the consequences of this fixed order here and now? I want to point out one thing that I'm going to kind of allow to be emblematic or kind of summative of all those verses that I read and more. It's something that kind of gets repeated in verses 26, 29, and 31. Did you notice that refrain? And there shall be no one to help you. I think it's key to kind of understanding the whole thrust of all of this. Remember that the law to which these blessings and curses refer is an aid to help the Israelites' bodies, their minds, their hearts do one thing and one thing alone, to glorify God. The law prescribes through its instructions, through its regulations, through its rules, through it, sorry, the, the, the precepts, the commandments that it gives, a kind of training program a regimen so that it becomes second nature for all of Israel and everything that they do from the least task to the greatest to pour out God's compassion, God's generosity, his patience, his care, his loving kindness in their lives and in all of their relationships. Now, Pastor Jeff, I believe, has demonstrated this through the last several months. So if you've either missed that or you need your memory jogged about how the law does that, you can listen to our podcast, 3520 Bradshaw, which has a whole archive of past sermons there. That's a shameless plug I'm making there, Pastor Jeff. But, but if Israel treats other people, the nations around them, and each other the same way that God has treated them, with that same character of mercy, of love, and of patience, and they should find themselves in a day of distress, a time of need, and they cry out to others around them who have seen that in their relationships, what do you think will be the response of those around them? Or, if they don't live in that way, if on the other hand they reject the law and are hard-hearted, they're stingy, they're harsh, dishonest, and self-serving in all of their relationships, and they find themselves in a day of need, and they call out, what do you think will be the response of those around them? Deuteronomy here is no less a brilliant revelation of the spiritual order than Sir Isaac Newton's observations about the physical order. Consider that Newton taught us in his third law there that in the physical order, every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? As I press on the pulpit here, it, it exerts a force back on me, otherwise I'd go straight to the ground, and so there is kind of this mirrored effect to it. I'm being a little cute here, but um, I'd say that in, in, in uh, Deuteronomy here, in the law, especially in these blessings and curses, we have laid out before us what happens in the spiritual order, and there is a similar law at work, that every action has an equal and reciprocal reaction. And let me put it this way for you. Sorry, I kind of lost my... When someone dismisses what you have to say, when someone insults you, when someone mocks you, when someone lies to you, when somebody cheats you, somebody should slap you, what would be your gut or your initial reaction? 
to return the favor. And on the contrary, if someone were to give you a gift, if they were to compliment you, if they were to honor you, respect you, tell you how much they cared about you, what would be your initial reaction, right? To do and show the same. Now, God's supernatural grace and sin both can and does change us from always following this inclination, which I'll get to in a moment. But you can see this basic order of treating people the way that they have treated you as much today when you turn on the television as they could 3,000 years ago. And this is what I want you to hear running through all of those blessings and all of those curses. Because if the Israelites reject the law, if they refuse its help and its training to become God's treasured possession and exhibit his same kind of compassion and love, if they want to live their own way, if they want to put themselves first over God and neighbor, if they pursue honesty only when it suits them, if they seek justice only when it's in their favor, if they prosecute theft only if it's to their advantage, if they will care only for those that have some perceived value to them, sorry, if they will worship only when and to whom it seems to have some kind of benefit, right? Then you get what you get. And in that great and terrible day of reckoning, finally in that moment of impending disaster and destruction, when they cry out to somebody to help them, you guessed it, it's our line. And there will be nobody and nothing to help you. And what the law here reveals to them and to the world and to all of us to be able to see, this is just the order of things. It's the way that they are, that these curses were brought down on your own head by your own doing, and you were there the whole time doing it, setting yourself up for this disaster. And again, it's not that by abiding to the law necessarily, a person becomes completely immune to sin and to its effects. Sin runs through all of our lives. But even in the midst of a fallen creation, where sin still brings heartache, loss, fear, and pain to all of us. The scriptures show that the one who walks in accordance to God's ways, who will follow this teaching, this wisdom, and this guidance, can nevertheless, in a world of scarcity, in a world of famine and drought, become the kind of open-handed and God-fearing person who says, here, you came to beg kernels of grain out of my leftovers. Let me instead fill your bags to the brim with the choicest grain that I have. As Pastor Jeff has suggested, read the story of Boaz and Ruth. Or you can become the kind of person who's been mocked and humiliated for being childless, which was a shame in the ancient world, and still be the kind of person who prays, even if the Lord gives me just one child, one son, I will immediately give him back to the Lord so that the Lord might be served and glorified. Right? Read the story of Hannah. You can become the kind of person who, being hunted and outcast like a dog for following God's calling in your life, can still say, though you would kill me and not for any wrong that I have done, and I could return the favor and end it all here and now, still I will not because the Lord my God appointed you as ruler over me and over my people. You could become the kind of person who, though being offered anything your heart desired, would pray, Lord, I desire neither riches nor power nor fame nor long life, but just this one thing, to do well what you have ordained for me 
to do. Read the story of Solomon. And again, their lives are not perfect. It's not that there's not sin around them or sin within their lives. But as we see them in Scripture and as their hearts and their minds are directed toward God, you see how God's grace never fails them in their circumstances. Contrast this. Can't really see that, but contrast this. Then with the Ahabs, the the Jezebels, the Goliaths, and the Herods of this world. Yes, in God's love and mercy, they sometimes experience goodness and seemingly more so than others. But living in continual defiance of God, they sow ruin and destruction in their hearts and in their lives, surely as the sunset comes in the evening. Because there is, after all, an order of things. And you begin to see, even in Deuteronomy 28, this inseparability between the present and eternity, between heaven and earth, this way that they're kind of always working amongst each other, even if it's not always a perfect correlation here and now. Because for those in Israel who would obey this law with their whole lives, with their whole hearts, with their whole minds, while yes, in this life, they still may experience moments of its sinfulness of creation it will increasingly grow to them more and more fleeting. And the blessings of their lives, even ones that they had not recognized, seem to multiply in all places and become more lasting because the love and the faithfulness of God wins out in the end. And as they practice and live with God's love, his compassion, and his generosity, they experience that future and the present here and now with every passing day. And for the ones who will not live into this covenant, for those who will go their own way and break it, you already know it's the reverse. The goodness and blessing that they have in their lives will always seem more and more fleeting, somehow always diminishing, slipping through their fingers. And the pain and the burden of sin in their lives and in the world will continue to weigh heavier and heavier and heavier on them their lives feeling empty and cursed, even when by all standards they have an abundance as they frustrate and fight the goodness of God working in them. This is simply the order of things. But there is this one final thing. While this order of living God's way or our way and its consequences still holds true even today, We have the New Testament and the gospel reading that Alan Cady read. We have Christ who perfects this order through God's unceasing love. And for we who have lived at odds with God, who have rejected him, who have wandered away, and who have sojourned in the strange and desolate place of sin and self-centeredness, our past no longer condemns us to an empty or a cursed future, as it should in the order that we see in Deuteronomy 28, as it should in the order that we often see worked out in our world. We are made a new creation in Christ with a possibility now, today, in this moment of living wholly and fully into that promise. At any moment, even right now, Christ is waiting to receive us, to give us that gift of trading a broken, a withered, and a painful past for a joyful, a hopeful, and a life-giving future. 
And if we receive it, Jesus and Paul shows us what it means. Because in Christ our eternal destiny in God is secure. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God. Because nothing can snatch us out of the Father's hand. God's blessing to us remains even when our external circumstances should seem the opposite. Blessed are we, as Christ announces, even when we're weak. Blessed are we when we're hungry and thirsty. Blessed are we when we mourn the loss of a loved one. Blessed are we when we are persecuted or when we suffer. Blessed are we even when we're dying. Not because these circumstances are good. But because of this thing, that for the one who is in Christ, none of them has the final word. And they only give to God the greater glory in the end as he overcomes all of them through the Son and in the Spirit. And so the world, as it watches us, and it sees that our blessedness is not the product of our circumstances, is struck speechless and scandalized by the fullness of our faith, our peace, our joy, and our love. That even with our final breath, like our Savior, we might still speak the blessing of God over our enemies and over those who would curse us. We come to the table this morning in the greatest blessing. That God has so loved us in the world that he not only created an order after his own likeness, one where love begets love and life begets life, But even when the darkness and sin that held us captive in all of creation should have then produced more death and more darkness, God's greater love and faithfulness brought forth life everlasting. We come to this table like Israel into their covenant with a promise to become the people that we were always made to be, not just now, but forever so that by God's grace and by Christ's sacrifice, we too can be made the children of God, a people who share in his grace, his truth, his goodness, radiating them even now and then being joined with him, with all other saints in life everlasting. Shall we pray? Lord our God, we are grateful this morning that you come offering us this gift, this great blessing. Give us grateful hearts as we come now to your table. Cordova, this is Pastor Jeff. I am just coming in here at the end of the sermon. I wanted to say uh, thank you for sticking with us. I know there was a little bit of a crackle in in Pastor Cody's mic, and so... um, I appreciate you sticking it out. Um, We have just one big thing coming up this week. Um, Today, as I'm putting this out, is Tuesday, and on Thursday, we've got our our big trunk or treat. And so um, if you want to be involved in that, either um, filling out a spot in the parking lot or donating donating candy, if you've got some way that you would like to to plug into that event, it really is... Uh, just a phenomenal way that we reach our neighbors and are able to build relationships and connect. And so um, come hang out on Thursday from 5 to 7. We'll have chili, we'll have candy, we'll have bounce houses. It's going to be a good time, and I look forward to seeing you there. I hope that you go with the blessing of God in the hope and the knowledge um, that we have in His Son, 
Christ Jesus, who has taken all the curses for us so that we might live fully in his blessing. Go in peace and love to serve our Lord.